Well, here we are at episode number eight, people. I was looking forward to this one for some time before I got to link up and record with Professor White. To my surprise, he was looking forward to it as well. Everybody who talks about Professor White that I've personally witnessed has referred to him as a class act, and he epitomizes the life of service and helping others. It's far more fun to hear the interview than it is to hear me talk about it, so let's just hear it now. Welcome to the Artists of Motion. Today, my guest is a gentleman in every sense of the word. Together with his staff and school, he has to date raised over a million dollars for the Royal Family Kids Camp. The Bob White Karate Studio has been in the same location for over 40 years and is known throughout the martial arts world for producing some of the finest fighters as well as human beings to have competed on the tournament scene. Master Bob White now counts over 200 people that have trained and been promoted to the level of first black or above under him. He is one of the original 12 Seventh Dons under Senior Grandmaster Ed Parker produced the Elements of Effective Coaching DVD, which is required learning at a lot of schools today. Master Bob White is an amazing human being who has won multiple tournaments and taken home many trophies. In my opinion, the largest one he's taken home is defeating cancer this year. How are you, sir? Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm doing very well. I appreciate being on here. I've been looking forward to this. I was really stoked when you accepted the invitation, so I'm, I'm really glad to have you here. Uh, can you tell us some more about your background today? Well, well, what I do is I'm a full-time Kempo Karate instructor. I have been since 1968. Uh, I consider myself a very wealthy man, and I'm not talking financially. I'm talking about the rewards that I've received from being able to share my knowledge with people that I genuinely love and respect, uh, being able to do something that I look forward to doing every day. I did it yesterday, and I plan on doing it tomorrow. And that's just showing up at the studio and working with people that, as I mentioned, I really care for. So it's it's been a great career. Wouldn't trade it for the world. I had an opportunity to spend a lot of time with Ed Parker and some of the founding people in the Ed Parker system that uh, have certainly made an impact on my life. And it's my desire to have an impact on my students' life. Well, judging by the fact that you've got over 200 now that have made it to various levels of black belts, I'd say you've really impacted a lot of people. Well, thank you. You know, it, it is something that the people that have earned their black belt at our studio are, are not just blessed physically, but these people have really established the fact that they're of high character and high moral value, and they, they really um, are not only skilled and martial artists, but they're just fine people that I feel really good that they go out and represent Kempo and represent our school in their communities and are more concerned what they could do to help other people than being the toughest guy on the block. And, and that matters a lot to me. What can we give back to uh, our communities and uh, to the martial arts world? Yeah, I won't give up the name of the person who said it, um, but <laughs> the I have played the word association game with a couple of people over the last couple of weeks. And one of the word associations, when I said, it, you know, doing, okay, give me a name from <clears throat> the martial arts world. And I said, Bob White, and the, instantly the reaction was class act. So, well, that's great to hear. Thank you. I'm hoping he, well, I'm going to make sure he listens to the podcast because I'm going to send him a link when he, when uh, your episode airs. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, well, in, in coupling with that, we mentioned earlier, you've raised now over a million dollars for the Royal Family Kids Camp. So how did you get started with that? And how have you managed to generate that much of a donation for them? Because that has impacted, again, thousands of kids' lives. You know, it was just, when we first started working with, uh, 
royal families. We ask for God's blessings. My wife and I work very, very closely together, and she's responsible for so much of the success of our promotions. But I was asked by one of my students to do a demonstration for these kids, and I said that I would do it, not knowing that it was like two hours away up in Lake Arrowhead, which is quite a drive uh, for us here in Orange County. So honestly, I went up there with kind of a resentment that I was thinking I better start being a little more careful what I agree to do. And, you know, it was like it was, I felt like it was a burden that I had to go up there and do it. And when I got up there, I was totally convicted. I started seeing what these counselors and the people that were running this camp, what they were committing. And it just really paled my, what I was doing paled in comparison to their commitment. And we went up there and I was just so excited on the way home that I had had that opportunity and I wanted to do more, but we didn't really make a decision. And the next year I was asked to return and we went up there. And then one of our black belts, Virgil Bartomalucci asked if I was interested in throwing a tournament, you know, and I'd thrown many, I'd thrown many tournaments starting in about 1973, 74. And I said, I really wasn't interested unless we did something for charity, still not thinking of Royal family, but I got home and I discussed it with my wife, Barbara, and she suggested, why don't we throw it and then generate money for Royal families. And at that point she was, she's a nurse. And at that point she decided that she wanted to start becoming the camp nurse uh, at the organization or the the function that we sponsor, the the event that we sponsor. It's a Royal Family Kids Camp, of which there are over 200 and something throughout the world now. So we decided to throw this tournament, and it was very small. We thought we'd raise five or $600 in our studio parking lot and give the money to Royal Families. Well, the first year, we raised $12,000. And we thought, you know, we were amazed that we were able to do this. The next year we threw it again and we doubled it. We raised 24,000, the next year 48,000, the next year 75,000. And then for quite a few years, we were averaging over 100,000 every time we would throw an event. Um, so it really took off. But what what happened, one of my students who walked into my school when he was 10 years old, now he's over 50, is a project manager for a large construction company here in Orange County. And he really liked what we were doing. So he started getting his subcontractors involved. They were maybe drywall electricians, plumbers, you know, carpet layers, you know, whatever their, their particular uh, aspect of construction is. And they started being involved in sponsorship. And what I discovered earlier through talking to a friend of mine who had thrown charity events is, you want to get a marquee sponsor that other people build around. And we did. We've had a company called John Jory, who every year contributes like maybe $15,000 to our event. And then the other subcontractors get involved and they start contributing. So it's been a remarkable growth. Uh, what's taken place is like right now it's December. So our sponsorship money is starting to come in already for our event in March because people are trying to get under the calendar of the first of the year so they still get their tax benefit. We're a, a 
a nonprofit organization. It's the Bob and Barbara White Charitable Foundation. The difference in our foundation is there is not one paid employee. All proceeds, 100% of the net profits go to Royal Family Kids. Nobody makes a penny on this. Um, I also decided early, I just wanted to clarify this, that I read a book years ago by Billy Graham, and he said that one of the smartest things he ever did is separate himself from the money so that when the money comes in, it's handled by people that are experts in handling money. My name's not on the checking account. I don't handle the money at all. So nobody could make a claim of impropriety or or misuse Mm -hmm. of the funds. So it just was a smart thing to do. Um, And we've just grown. We have an unbelievable team of people at our studio that uh, doctors of economics, you know, a guy named Dr. Rod Smith, he handles all of our finances. I mean, they're all just professional people that donate their time to help raise uh, money for these abused children. So our team is unbelievable. We have people that are in charge of awards, people are in charge of the tournament, advertising, um, printing. You know, it's just a we have a great group of people that have been with us through our entire beginning. This year will be the 12th year of our event, and it's just uh, a pleasure to be involved with. And as a result, it's brought people in the Kempo community from around the world. This year, as an example, we'll have over 70 people coming in from Ireland alone. That's awesome. It is. We have a great group from Utah, from Colorado, from Wyoming, all throughout the local Southern California area. But the support of the of our friends involved in the Kempo community, and, and not just Kempo, you know, we have a great group from Tanksudo and Taekwondo and a lot of the Chuck Norris people that I used to compete against are also actively involved in helping at the tournament and help putting it on. But we get checks constantly. I just got a check from the East Coast from Sean Crehan and Tim Murphy that they threw an event there and they raised funds to donate to our event. So it's been tremendous. Um Barbara and I travel quite a bit. We were in um, the Netherlands a couple of years ago, and they raised over $1,000. Doreen um, Dorenzio raises money in Boston at her tournaments and donates to help us out. Um, it's just been amazing that uh, people have jumped on board and helped us to help the kids. So it's just been a tremendous thing for us. So... You have uh, you've been quoted in a couple of different places that, about living a life of service, and are you, yeah. that, that is literally the the epitome of, of living a life in service. You're you every day you get out there and help somebody, and in this case, you've helped thousands of kids. Well, you know I I say this all the time because you know you, when you're as you know when you run a karate studio you wear a lot of different hats. Sometimes you know you're the teacher. Sometimes you're you know, you're the coach, you know, sometimes you're a psychologist or a psychiatrist and you're trying, you're trying to help people. But, and there's a lot of things I don't know, but I do know that the happiest people I know are people that are helping others. And many times when you're in really bad emotional state and it seems like the wheels are coming off, you can get out of that state by helping other people. And, uh, I really have experienced that. And, um, you know, I hope when I'm 90 years old, I can still figure out a way to be in service to somebody. 
and it's certainly a vehicle for a happy life. You've been in service to others for you know forty plus years now, and you know I, I went and did a bunch of research, and you know I, I had some idea of your bio because I read the journey and you know all, all that fun stuff. Then I went and looked that up mm-hmm. while I was doing my Kempo research over the years. Um, one of the pieces that was really poignant for me was how humble you are. Every time I see an interview, every time I see a, you know, uh, everybody's always, how come you haven't put on your 10th yet? And the, the answers you gave have just been amazingly reflective of how humble you are as a human being. And that is reflected in how much you help everybody else. I mean, literally. Well, thank you. You know, I really want to. And actually, our, I've tried to do this for years. I kind of had a spiritual awakening in 1990, and, and I knew that being in service was going to be something that, even though I had been in service, I think in some aspects before that, it became more and more of a priority. And, and you know, you kind of amp up uh, at various times of your life. And, and since the battle with cancer, it kind of limited a lot of things that I really wanted to do. And my wife and I made a, a commitment that we just wanted to do more um, if I was lucky enough to recover. And thank God, you know, I am. I I am in recovery on this. And um, so we have some plans. You know, I think March 13th, I'm sorry, um, January 13th, we're doing a a fundraiser at our studio for Frank Trejo. And we're involved in in just doing uh, a lot of different things. But what's wonderful about this and these, seminars as an example is that it's it's not just me it's just a group of people that really want to help other people we've got chuck sullivan john conway tom bleaker my good friends eddie downey and john sepulveda steve labounty i mean all of these people never ever waver whenever i ask them to get involved in something or they ask me we're we're a team and when we do things together more things get done you just mentioned so, a whole lot of our, really, really cool people. Well, and they are wonderful people, and not obviously not just physically. I mean, these people are rocks. I mean, they are really, they, they do what they say they're going to do, and they do it willingly because their whole purpose is to help others. And being around people like that makes your life easier. You know, it's like being around a house that's being painted. If, if you're around that house, you're going to get some paint on you. And that's how it is with these guys. They're just good, good human beings, and being around them makes life a lot better. Sean Kelly's doing the same thing in Florida. He just is a uh, a gentleman who really cares about making a difference. Couldn't have said it better myself. Well, thank you. So, with the as many accolades as you have, and judging by um, your level of humility and how you wrote them, um, you severely understated your accomplishments on your bio on your website. So I'm not going to go and go against that, but I do want to ask about what you've done in the film industry. So I know you've had some experience with some of the Karate Kid films. So I remember seeing you as a referee when I was a kid watching the first one, and then later on I figured mm-hmm. out, wait a minute, that's Bob White. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. You know, and actually how I got involved with that was there's a gentleman by the name of Pat Johnson, and Pat is originally with Chuck Norris, and then he got involved in, Enter the Dragon movie and, and started choreographing fight scenes for various movies like the Batman and Batman series. And he was involved in Ninja Turtles. Um, 
and quite a few other other shows. Uh, but he was involved in doing the choreographing for the Karate Kid, and we have had a history of some very successful tournament fighters, and they were having the tournament scene for that movie, and he called me up and asked me to bring some guys down for the filming. And it was really a lot of fun for our school um, because they they were going to film three days in a row, and to ensure that the same kids were going to show up for three days, instead of giving away trophies, they gave away television sets. So a lot of our kids, they're walking around with televisions in each arm. It looked like they were involved <laughs> in the watch riot. They were looting. But, uh, and then Pat came up to me at the tournament and goes, hey, Bob, come over. I want to make you a movie star. And he got me involved in refereeing some of the scenes and just a lot of fun. I had no idea at the time it was going to be as successful of a movie as it was. But after the movie was over, Columbia Pictures, their plan was to promote the movie from within the martial arts community and then let it go out to the general public. So we had five of us, uh, some people that were really well-known in the martial arts community. Steve Fisher was one. Frank Trail was another one. Ron Chappelle, uh, excuse me, Ron Chappelle. And a couple of other people, and we broke the country down into five increments. And I was fortunate enough to have the southeast, so I had all the sun areas. I had Atlanta, I had Miami, Tampa Bay, and Greenville, South Carolina, or North Carolina, one of those. And uh, so we got to travel for Columbia Pictures and go to various karate tournaments in the area to promote the movie. When I first started calling these people up and telling them what we were doing, it was they were somewhat reluctant because in some cases they didn't know me, and in some cases they did because of tournaments, but they were kind of hesitant uh, to get involved. And then as the movie became more successful, they were calling me up and asking me when I was coming back because it really ended up being a big shot in the arm for the karate world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a very, very well-done movie. And if you think about it, uh, John Avildsen was the director for The Karate Kid. He also directed Rocky, the original Rocky movie. And they're basically the same stories, you know, from the underdog, uh, good versus evil, the bad. I mean, it was really the same story. But uh, John Avildsen won an Academy Award for uh, Rocky, Um, just did a great job. And I think... The Karate Kid was number two at the box office that year. And then we were also involved in Karate Kid Part 3, and I did have something to do with the newest Karate Kid with Jackie Chan and, and Jaden Smith, which was a lot of fun. It's just amazing to me that you know, there's a whole lot of this stuff where you just don't talk about it a whole lot in a whole lot of interviews, and it's, you know, it blows me away every time I, I start getting a chance to talk to somebody and they've got all this history, and they don't talk about themselves almost ever unless somebody specifically asked the question. It just speaks to, again, the character. So, um, well, thank you. Yeah, you mentioned Frank Trejo. If I'm not mistaken, I think you guys both went into, I think it was the Kempo Karate Hall of Fame. Is that correct? At the same year? Yes. Yeah, the first year. This was the third year, actually, just uh, in November. Paul Casey has put it on. He's one of Frank Trejo's original black belts. But uh, he does a real nice job. It's a nice event. 
we actually had Eddie Downey come in from Ireland this year, and, and I'm very proud to say I had three of my students uh, inducted, including my wife, who has just done so much for uh, for Kempo Karate, and I was just very, very proud of that. Yeah, it was a, it was a nice evening, and it's, he's doing his his best to make it a, a, a very quality event, and uh, it's something we look forward to next year. That's awesome. Uh, I'm hoping I can get Barbara to appear on this podcast at some point too, just because uh, you know she's done so much, as you said, and I'm always really curious because she's got the advanced medical degree too. She's a nurse, correct? That is correct. Yeah, she's she was. Uh, just, you know, there's an old saying about time exposes or promotes. And we've been together for a while now. And I just, she just keeps being promoted in my eyes. I just couldn't be prouder of being able to be married to her. And I certainly uh, was able to marry up. And I know that's something <laughs> that people say all the time. But I really do believe it. She's just a wonderful person. In fact, as we speak, she's putting on a women's um, empowerment self-defense program at the studio and we had a limit of 50 people to uh, be on our mat so it could be you know manageable and we reached the maximum capacity there's 50 women down there that are are learning the tools of self-defense and one of my students is a retired captain from LAPD Ron Sanchez he's down there helping along with a great team of our other black belts that uh, are really giving a great service to the community. So, uh, yeah, I'm very, very proud of her. I love it. Uh, you mentioned Captain Sanchez. I noticed he's he's on your family tree on your website, along with a lot of other really, really uh, big-name people that have been movers and shakers in the last two decades. But some of these guys mm-hmm. have been with you literally since almost the school started, right? Correct. Well, Ron is an example. He's on the Ed Parker original family tree under me and he is just a remarkable man and he still takes an hour or excuse me takes an hour private every week from me after 45 years and be perfectly honest with you with his police experience uh i've learned so much from him he is just a a real serious martial artist that uh loves what he's doing and you know the motto of lapd is to protect and serve and he couldn't you couldn't ask for a better example of that He's just somebody that genuinely cares for people and wants to help people. And as an example, he's there today with Barbara donating his time just to help people. But that's the type of person he is, and he's exactly um, somebody that we would want to represent Kempo Karate in, in so many different aspects of his life. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. So we haven't touched on it yet, but since we're now back onto the Kempo terms, or uh, Kempo topic, rather, um, you made a name initially in the tournament scene. So you, would you talk to us about a little bit about your tournament history and how that developed into who you are today as a martial artist? Well, yes, I can, and, and thank you. It, if it really wasn't for the sport aspect of karate, I don't know if early on in my career I would have had the same interest or passion that I did have. Um, when I first got involved I started, in fact, I just saw him a couple of days ago with John Sepulveda. I started in 1964 in Shotokan Karate with one of my high school teachers. His name was Dick Igo, and we just saw him at the gym. He's 85 years old, fought in the first internationals that Mr. Parker put on in 1964, and he's still at the gym working out and keeping in shape. So 
I got started with him. I was playing a lot of baseball at school. And so it kind of took me away from my training. And in 1966, Ed Parker opened up a school around from my house, right around the corner. So I went over there. And when I first went in, there was two people freestyling at the school. One was Fred Brewster, who was on the family tree, and Dale Walker, who was also on the family tree, uh, Ed Parker's family tree. And they were sparring. And I just, I just loved it. I go, I can do this. And I think I would just really enjoy it. I've always been a competitive athlete, no matter, you know, what sport it was, whether it's baseball or football in school. Later on, I got involved in competitive tennis. But I love competition. And I started sparring early, and I was blessed that I had some success. Uh, got to know a lot of people on the tournament circuit. Like, this is before the DKF, which is the Black Karate Federation. Steve uh, Sanders at the time, now it's Steve Muhammad, was wearing our patch. Steve Labounty was winning consistently, and he was wearing our patch. And uh, those are the guys that uh, I really looked up to at the time. And I wanted to be up on stage at the internationals and Ralph Castro's California Karate Championships up in San Francisco. And I wanted to be up on stage there representing Mr. Parker wearing our patch. So uh, I was blessed. I was able to do that. And what happened is I started getting some success. I started working out with other people um, from other systems. The Yukides family were great friends of mine and still are. Uh, they would come down and, and we would just train over the weekends. I would have people, as when the BKF was formed, I would have friends uh, come down and stay with us for a month at a time during the summer. But we would all always train together and exchange ideas with each other and it really opened uh, a lot of doors uh, in knowledge on different training methods, and we would exchange ideas, and it was a, a remarkable opportunity for growth. Mike Stone was just in Huntington Beach, and currently Mike and I are, are I don't know, the best of friends, really. I have so much respect for him and um, learned a lot from him, not just on the mat, but learned a lot from him. And, just uh, handling life on life's terms and dealing with other people. And, um, but, you know, there, I wrote something recently on Facebook. You know, the, one of the keys in developing your experiences is you have to show up. You can't stay home. You, you, you got to get out and you go to tournaments or you go to seminars or you go to social activities and you get an opportunity to interact with people of like minds and you get an opportunity to grow. I don't think anybody grows by staying home. Mm -hmm. I think you got to get out and interact and, and find out. That's why, you know, you'd go and you put on a seminar and, and you'll ask people at the end, do you have any questions? And a lot of people are hesitant to ask. And the reality of it is, is ask questions of the people that have been around for a long time. Ask them how they've handled situations, what they've learned, you know, what, if they have any tips for, for improvement and, you know, the squeaky gate gets the oil. If you if you want to learn things, you have to ask. And uh, that's what tournaments have done for me. And, and you know, you, you have victories and you have defeats. But I love Chuck Norris's um, mindset. Chuck Norris said the only time he ever lost a tournament is when he didn't learn something. So I think, you know, you go there and you just do your best. You know, your identity is not going to be determined by winning and losing a tournament. Your identity is how you handle 
victory and how do you handle defeat? And if you can do both of those, I think somebody quoted, if you can do both of those imposters with a little bit of grace, then you get an opportunity to grow as a person. I absolutely love having the opportunity to do this podcast and interview so so many amazing people because every single one, there are just nuggets of wisdom that I truly hope can help somebody out there make their lives better, not just their martial arts careers, but their entire lives. This is amazing. I love doing this. Well, thank you. It's uh, it's great being on. Uh, I look forward to watching some of or listening to some of the other episodes and learning. This learning what makes awesome. these people. Thank you. So you, you mentioned, you know, what do you learn from, you know, if you've got a defeat? You went through a really bad health scare this year with cancer. I mean, that that, that is the worst disease on the planet these days. You know, with yes. survival rates and all, it's just, it's brutal. Um, my mm. wife just lost her grandmother a couple of weeks ago to pancreatic cancer. And, um, oh, boy. you know, she, she was alive and kicking and she was gone 20, uh, just under 48 hours later. And wow. every time I hear a story about people beating cancer, it just, I want to ask them. So how did your mindset help you get through something that is that has that much gravitas? You, you know what well, the odds are, you know what the issues are, and you still keep pushing through. That's a lesson in perseverance. So what does it take to get through that? Well, what it took for me, I'm going to give you a little bit of history. I had uh, something on my neck, and I went in and had it biopsied, and it was determined it was I had throat cancer. Then I, had, I did a, a PET scan, and they determined I also had pancreatic cancer. So I had these two different cancers, um, by the way, we just lost a Temple Black Belt back in, I believe, Maryland, named Jim Fredericks, who I had met. And we just lost him this morning to pancreatic. He was doing a surgery for his pancreatic cancer. And I'm not sure if it was a Whipple surgery. That's what I had. Uh, but he had complications, and he passed away this morning. So certainly send prayers to his, him and his family. But what what I did... and a lot of people are saying, you know, you're, you're so brave and, you know, you're, and it, it really wasn't a matter of being brave and it really wasn't a matter so much of fighting it more of, I was going to do what the doctors told me to do. I wasn't going to get a, a defeatist attitude and I wasn't going to succumb mentally to uh, accepting any type of you know, defeat, you know, and it wasn't that, you know, you can't really, people say fighting cancer. I think all you can do is you do what the doctors say and, and try to keep um, an up frame of mind. And fortunately for me, I had a tremendous amount of support and prayers and friends and visits in the hospital. And actually, uh, I was really hesitant to do, uh, a friend of mine wanted to start a GoFundMe program and I didn't want to do it you know my pride was saying I won't really need this we have insurance you know we've got some some money put away but about three months in they came back again and they put this GoFundMe thing together and it ended up working out financially very well for us not that we obviously made money but it, it, when you're when you have your own karate studio even though we were so fortunate we had people 
that could run the classes and do a great job running the classes. The loss of income for me not being able to teach was amazing. I teach so many privates with people that have their own schools and, you know, it really made a almost like a $10,000 a month difference with me not being on the mat. So because of the Kempo community and my friends, that expense was kind of offset during that period of while I was down. So that was, that was a blessing. But physically, I lost almost 50 pounds. When I got out of, and I wasn't fat to, to start off with. I was in pretty decent shape. So by the time I finished radiation, I looked like I could have been on one of the advertising for the African hunger march. But it was, I really had lost a lot of weight. And it was, for a time, you know, I, I never thought that I was not going to make it. I, I really didn't. I always thought that I was going to survive this. And thank God, at this point, I did. But it was just trying not to get down, you know, and just, you know, and everyone has a tendency, at least I do, you know, there are periods where I stopped relying on God and start thinking about the poor me's. Uh, but fortunately, they didn't last long. And I, you know, I have a wife that can kind of call me on, on stuff like that and kind of got me recentered again to get, you know, there's an old saying, if you're not close to God, think about who moved. And I realized that it was uh, probably me not putting more faith into God. But for the most part, I think the, the idea of just staying positive and doing what I need to do today. And that's all, you know, this two most wasted emotions are guilt and worry. Guilt is something that you can't change. It already happened in the past. And worry is about something that hasn't taken place yet. So the idea is to stay in the present, think about what I could do today, and do that the next day. And just keep working on what you can do versus what you can't do. You know, it's like a karate student. You always tell him, you know, he's got an injury. So, well, think about what you can do, not what you can't do. Because there's always things you can do. There's a big lesson on living and looking at all the positive sides of things in there, too. Yes, well, and you, if you really want to live to the best quality of your life, I think you have to kind of keep it in that perspective. It's not that you can't plan ahead, but you better, you know, there's a great book out called The Precious Present. And the present is not a gift. It is kind of a gift, but it's not a box or an object. It is the present tense. It is right now. That's the present. And it is it is precious, and you have to embrace it. And if you don't, you know, I think that's kind of, uh, set yourself up for potential misery. So you had a little, I uh, was just scanning through your Facebook feed looking for those posts, and I found the one you were referring to, but I just saw another one. And the other one, it was yesterday at 1.27 p.m. in Garden Grove. Oh, yes. Yep, that was the original school that uh, I walked into when I saw those two guys freestyling. And that was in 1966, um, after I'd started Shotokan in 64. But I went in there, and uh, it just was life-changing. And I certainly didn't know it at the time, but uh, it certainly became something that became a passion for me. Am I correct that that was the Bob Perry School? It, well, it was Bob Perry ran the school, but it was an Ed Parker School at the time. Bob Perry was the owner. And actually, when I walked in, Bob Perry was still a brown belt. Fred Brewster was the ranking black belt. And... 
he was the one that I got a chance to watch freestyle. Who is he was just a great athlete. You know, I think he's seventy five now and he's still a great athlete. He's a, a pretty remarkable person. I've heard several people talk about Mr. Brewster with uh, almost awe as to, <laughs> in terms of his skill set. So, yes, yeah, Ed Parker had a nickname for him. It wasn't Fred Brewster; it was Fred Bruiser. <laughs> yeah, nice. yeah, he was uh, big. He's half Hawaiian, and he's just a tremendous athlete. All right. So, what was that? Uh, can we take you down a trip down memory lane and ask? So, what was that training like at that original school there in Garden Grove? Well, because of our location, you know, most of the Ed Parker schools are real self-defense technique oriented, and that's the theme of their school. But because of our proximity, we were out in in, uh, Garden Grove, uh, which is a distance to Pasadena and Santa Monica, where Ed Parker was. We did a lot of fighting, and I think most of the schools, uh, it didn't take long, and I don't don't want to sound like we're bragging, but the reality of it is it didn't take long for us to become the top fighting school under Mr. Parker, and I don't really think there's any doubt about that. You know, we had, there's no Ed Parker team that had won the International Karate Championships until our team started putting together uh, these victories. And we've defeated the, the Chuck Norris team, I think, in 1970 and um, as brown belts. And then we just just started winning. And it, what happened is that all the local kids, because I was an athlete at my high school, I, I honestly had somewhat of a reputation as an athlete. You know, I was my most valuable player on various teams. And I, it's not like I'm bragging. That's not my intention. But I did have... Uh, a lot of connections with athletes that were coming up through the schools and a lot of the athletes like David Brock and Mark Lennon, who were the top athletes at my old high school came over and became students and they immediately started winning. And pretty soon, you know, it wasn't just the people I tested uh, for, for black belt that were winning. We started winning with the white belts and then we started winning with the juniors and the peewees and, Pretty soon, we just had a great of uh, an unbelievable team. I'll give you an example. One year at the International Karate Championship, Mr. Parker had 15 different team divisions. And there were schools from all over the world coming to participate. Well, out of 15 teams, 13 of those team divisions were won by my school. Wow. I mean, to me, that's just amazing. Uh, at one streak, we had our peewee team and our brown belt team had won 10 consecutive years, first place. And I'm talking a lot of teams in each division. Sometimes teams would have maybe five or six fights to get to the finals. And that was uh, just a remarkable streak. And we were just so blessed. We had so many great kids. You know, it's like a, a really good college football program that gets a tradition and a standard that people know they have to meet to be on the teams. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what took place at our school is everybody started working really hard. Some of our workouts are still legendary. I used to close the door at our school, turn the heater on, and I'm talking <laughs> preparation in August. But, and I never, it really was never the idea of developing people's 
physical skills as much as developing their mind so that they really believed they were working harder than any other school and that they deserved to be successful because they had prepared so much. You know, during that period, I learned so much from John Wooden, UCLA basketball coach, mm-hmm. and still do. I still read his books often. In fact, one of the greatest books ever written on karate is a book called Wooden on Leadership. And the word karate is not mentioned one time in this book. But all you do is replace the word basketball with the word karate, and you've got this great tool to help you become a better coach. I have made a note of both books you've mentioned so far. Yeah, well, they are just great reads. And I could, if I wanted to develop a lesson for a seminar, I could sit down with that Wooden on Leadership book, and within 30 minutes, I'd have a great theme for a seminar that I could do and then have done that. In fact, when you go to Ireland, there are schools over there that will have John Wooden's. I don't know if you've ever seen the Pyramid to Success. I'm sorry, that we broke up a little bit there. One more time. There's John Wooden has something he put together. It's the Pyramid to Success. And he has all of these virtues that what it takes to become successful at something. And the cornerstones are enthusiasm and industriousness. But these pyramids are up in the schools in Ireland. And they might not know basketball, but they certainly know that pyramid because it just so applies to what we do in karate. But he was really quite a – he was voted by Sporting News as the greatest coach in the history of American athletics. And to not try to learn from him, I think from a coaching standpoint, would defy logic. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he's uh, he was quite a man. Big influence on my life. I know that. I'm gonna, if it's okay with you, I will take the links for the books that you uh, have recommended so far. I'm gonna put those on uh, when we post your podcast. I will put uh, the links of those in there as well. Well, great. I can't think of a greater service for somebody that is a martial arts teacher than to recommend that particular book. It'll not only make you a better person, but it'll certainly make you a better communicator and more inspiring coach. I'm glad I can do that. This is awesome. <laughs> right. So uh, not only have you had your students that have won all kinds of, of uh, trophies, I believe if I saw the stat correctly, I'm trying to do this from memory, uh, but it was like out of 25 years, you guys took home like 1,200 trophies at the IKCs. Does that sound right? Yeah, that's a that's a conservative amount, but yeah, it's easy to say that uh, that's that is correct. You know, we had some tremendous kids, athletes, uh, people that have gone on to fight in the UFC, uh, gone on to make martial arts their career, currently have their own schools and uh, are helping people around the world. Yeah, we've been very, very fortunate. And it does. You know, what we want to do at the studio is create and maintain a culture of coaching where everybody is helping each other. Like a yellow belt is helping a white belt, an orange belt is helping a yellow belt, you know, all the way up the chain. So they realize to really be an active member, a student at our school, then as you learn, you need to share. There's an old saying, if you want to keep it, give it away. And if we can get people working with each other, it makes our school closer and builds this bond of camaraderie that uh, helps make uh, our place an enjoyable and informative place to train. 
there's a religious leader here in Orange County that wrote probably one of the biggest bestsellers in the history of uh, being an author, and a guy named Rick Warren. He wrote A Purpose Driven Life, and it's just a tremendous, tremendous book. But he's had tremendous success at his church of developing small group ministries. And what it is, it's like say you're in a class with 50 people. Well, you're one member of the class. But what if you broke that class down into 10 increments of five people? Now you have more uh, accountability. You have more personal attention. You have more interaction. And that's what we try to do at the studio. We try to break into small groups so people get an opportunity to interact and help other people. So it's really been a successful thing at our school. And, again, that's the culture I want uh, with people helping other people. I'm so glad you brought up the word culture because that was my next question. How do you instill that for people that come in the door that may not be the most coachable people when they first come in? Well, what I say, you know, that you have a couple of choices. It would, again, I'll use that term, defy logic, not to listen to people that have experience and have walked in your shoes before you. I mean, it, it just would defy logic. I mean, you could, you could try it this way. It's like people that work out in their garage. You know, they might be the best person in their garage. But when you interact with other people, you get an opportunity to grow and learn from their experience, strength, and hope. So, you know, not everybody is coachable. And all that means to me, and I'll try to relay that to them, it's just going to slow down their learning process when they can let their guard down. You know, that old Bruce Lee thing about an empty cup, mm -hmm. empty your cup. So it's no good when it's full of stuff, but if you can empty your cup and learn from other people, then you have the opportunity for growth. And if not, you know, some people are real defiant, you know, they're going to want to try to do their things their way. And it just slows down the, uh, the growing. You know, at our school, we've had, you know, a, a tremendous history. We have some great longevity and, and some real success stories. To not learn from that would, uh, or try to learn from it, would uh, affect their, their growth. So have you had anybody who came in the door and just decided they were not going to be coachable? Well, it certainly happens. But, you know, one of the things, and I don't know if you remember from the, from the DVD, one of the things that has to be established first is the, the student has to learn to trust the instructor. Now, if you betray that trust, as an example, if I were to tell somebody you're ready to go out and fight in the internationals, and he wasn't, he went out there and he just got pummeled. That's a betrayal of trust because I've led him down a path that led to embarrassment or physical harm. But if I really concerned with my student, then I'm going to coach him along, give him the best um, advice I can, and then a relationship is formed. Now, once that trust is established, they're much more likely to listen to you and be coachable. But if the trust is betrayed, very difficult to get back. Very difficult. As an example, I tell somebody, you know, you got to take care of yourself. You got to stay fit. You got to live a good lifestyle. And then he sees me out on a Saturday night. I'm three sheets to the wind and acting foolish. Then that trust is betrayed. 
because that's that's hypocrisy. And so I try to do what I say I'm going to do and, and do what I'm suggesting my students do. Uh, that way, there's a, a greater bond because they know that I believe in what I'm saying. You know, we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard and we have to, we're going to be an example of something. And we want to be the best example we can. That being said, we're all human and we all are prone to mistakes. But the mistakes don't have to be major ones. The mistakes could be uh, done on a, I always, I've made it a policy to try to realize when I'm wrong, to promptly admit it and apologize. Not let pride get in the way and end up affecting uh, the relationship and being so busy trying to be right that I end up making a big mistake. That that one piece there, where you know, try to make it right, try to make you know, apologize if you've been wrong and admitting to it, that is so huge when it comes to maintaining that trust piece. Well, it is, it is, because you know, if you're you're standing there and you're going to defend your right, uh, your your right to be wrong, what happens uh, is you get resentments, and when you get a resentment, uh, like I said, real hard to break down, you know. I know some instructors that have gone from being a hero to a zero just because of poor judgment, poor lifestyle judgment, poor decisions that um, they had this breakdown and then end up losing their schools mm-hmm. because of it, of just poor, poor life choices. And he said, none of us get out of this life without making mistakes and in some case, major mistakes, but own up to it. You move away from the pain of making the mistake toward the pleasure of living a better lifestyle. And as a result, you get to start whittling away at things that um, make you make you miserable. Again, another nugget of wisdom there that I hope everybody gets something out of. Well, I hope so. You know, you, you go through, and I'm 68 right now, and I certainly... Um, I've made some mistakes, some, quite a few of mistakes uh, growing up through the ranks, but hopefully they are things, you know, you, you get forged by fire and you do move away from things that bring pain into your life and you, and you move toward things that give you pleasure and give you rewards. And, you know, hopefully you can have an influence on some people as they grow up through the ranks that they don't have to make the same mistake. And really that's what being a, a an instructor and a coach is, you know, I, I mentioned, you mentioned the 10th degree earlier. That's why I'm, I'm never going to be really interested in putting that on. That's not in my future. Um, I'm not perfect. And so 10th degree kind of symbolizes the fact that you've arrived to me. And it has nothing to do with people that have put it on. That's their decision. And, and God bless them. And, and in many cases, they're my friends that I have a lot of respect for. I just know for me personally, it's not anything I'm going to do. I wasn't even going to bring that subject up, but you know, I'll leave it right there. Yeah, man, and that's fine. You know, it's up to each individual. I'm not the karate police or temple police. All I can do is police myself, and that's what I'm most comfortable with. So let me touch back on the subject. So we transitioned really quick from your own accolades into what your students have produced and what you know, everybody else has done there which, again, goes back to that humility piece again, but I'm going to make you talk about it anyways. So All right. <laughs> one of those was you guys, you were fought on the IKKA team for a few years, right? 
Yes, I did. As well as on the national, I think it was all-star black belt team. And I think if I'm Correct. right, you guys were like undefeated for a couple of years. Yeah, I was really fortunate that to fight with some guys that were great. You know, some of the, the top guys in our sports history. Um, so we had a great team. We defeated uh, a team in, from Washington, D.C. with Jeff Smith, I think Pat Worley, uh, Michael Coles. I think mean, these guys were great. And we were able, I was fortunate enough to be on the winning team. And actually, I had an opportunity to fight against and with some of the top people in the history of sport karate. And I'm really, really proud of that, to, uh, to even be on the same mat with them. And, you know, whether I had victories or I had defeats, uh, which I've had both. You know, I've had victories against guys that were formerly ranked number one in the country. And, you know, you just, you grow, you learn, and you pick things up. And I'm really uh, pleased with the career I had, competitive career. Uh, I have the only regret is I wished I would have fought more. I, I had my own school at the time and didn't travel uh, nationally as often as I would like, even though I did have an opportunity to fight across the country, but I wished I could have competed more. But actually, even fighting in Southern California at the time, many of the top fighters in the world were based out of uh, Southern California. And right now, some of the top fighters in the world are right here in Orange County. Um, you got Raymond Daniels, who fought last night. I didn't even know how he did yet, but he was the current world champion, Bellator, full contact champion. And he's from here. And um, Jack Felton, who was formerly number one point rider in the world, is from here. Jeff Newton was number one NASCO. And Mike Pombero is at our school five days a week. And Mike was Black Belt Magazine competitor of the year. So we've, we've just had some great people from this area. And I'm, I'm very thankful that uh, they kind of got started with our school. We were the first uh, champions that started winning. And as a result, we, other people started coming in here and training at our school and, and went on to have this, this great career. But the three guys I mentioned, Raymond Daniels, Jack Felton, Mike Pombero, you know, along with that, we probably have 10 other people that are just tremendous competitors from right here in Orange County. But it uh, honestly, and this is, a, again, uh, in all humility, the reality of it is the first champions were from our school. The Ed Parker School in Garden Grove and then uh, 1972, our school in Garden Grove. Such a fantastic career you had both in the competing and, or sorry, competing and the teaching side. Just absolute top-notch. Yeah, I've been very blessed and uh, real proud. Proud of the friendships that I've had. Proud of the, the successes and not ashamed of the, of the defeats. What do you think is the biggest lesson you took out of your competitive career? Um, the idea that actually it was carried over from other athletics is, is that on a given day, anybody can be defeated. And it's a matter as far as competition is concerned. The, one of the fun things about a karate match is that it's only two minutes. So what you can do, I mean, if you have a game plan and you take somebody else's strength, their very, very best technique they have, and have a plan against that technique, 
that's what, as far as competition, that's what I've discovered is your opponent will take as, as much credit as you want to give him. The idea is respect everybody, but fear nobody and realize they could be defeated and somebody's going to win. Why not you? You know, why can't it be you? Why does this guy have to be on this pedestal? It doesn't matter if he's won 18 grand champions, you know, good for him. You know, he's obviously very talented, but it doesn't mean that he's going to outsmart you for that two minutes. It just means you have to get a plan to neutralize his strength. So you can't wait for him to do his best technique against you because you have an answer. You know, there's, there's a book. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Patton with George C. Scott. It's been a while, but yes, I have. Yeah. Well, he's out in the jungle, excuse me, in the desert and He's going against Rommel, the famous Nazi uh, German um, tank commander. And he knew what Rommel was going to do because he read his book. And George Patton is going, uh, George C. Scott, who played uh, Patton, is going, I read your book. I knew what you're going to do. I read your book. And that reminds me of fighting. You know, you start studying your fighters and you realize what their strengths are and, and uh, have a game plan. But if you don't if you don't train and you don't experiment with different ideas, you don't have the war chest to deal with a lot of people. The most difficult technique to defend against is one you've never seen before. But if you get in there and you get experience and you fight a lot of different people, then you have an expanded war chest and you're able to deal with things a lot better. That is absolutely. I keep saying the same thing over and over again here. I'm. It's just an amazing piece of advice. Yeah. Well, I certainly, you could tell that I'm somewhat passionate about the sport aspect of karate. Still really enjoy it. Uh, you know, the tournaments, I don't enjoy as much any longer, but to see people doing karate at a high level is still very enjoyable to me. Very enjoyable. When you see something that you love being done correctly with the right mindset and the right passion, it, uh, it's a remarkable thing to see. Our guest today has been Professor Bob White. I've, been, I've really, really enjoyed having this discussion with you for the last hour plus or so. Um, we learned a lot of really cool information, had a lot of really good nuggets of wisdom in there. What I want to do now is, uh, for our listening audience, what message would you like to send out to the world? Um, you know, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but to me this is so important, and the suggestion would be just to show up, get involved, learn by, by being ex given an opportunity to be exposed. There are so many great martial artists today, and anytime you get an opportunity to go to a seminar or read a book or get on the Internet, just take advantage of these learning opportunities to help you grow. There's an old saying that knowledge is power. Well, give yourself an opportunity to get as much knowledge as you possibly can. I just went to listen to a gentleman last weekend that uh, had written a lot of the Eagles music. And he was saying the same thing. He said, you have to show up. If you don't show up, you deprive yourself of the opportunity for additional education. And we all want to learn as much as we possibly can, but you can't learn by staying home. So, Get involved. If it costs a little bit of extra money to go to a seminar or to travel, spend it. It's an investment. Education is expensive. You know, if you want to go to Harvard, it's going to cost you more than going to a junior college. Invest the money 
uh, and it'll pay off big time for you. Yeah, I've got a, a friend in Ireland uh, that spent a lot of money traveling here to the United States just to learn from Mr. Parker. And he really invested his time. His name is Eddie Downey. Eddie Downey now has 27 schools in Ireland with over 3,000 students wow. all throughout Europe. But what he's done is he invested in his education. He brought uh, his instructor, John Sepulveda, and about 12 years ago, he started bringing me out as well. And We're great friends. I have a lot of respect for him. And um, as I mentioned earlier, he now, when we have our tournament this year, he's bringing over 70 people to our tournament here in uh, Orange County. So that's my advice. Get involved. Show up no matter what. Make yourself get off the seat. I'll give you a quick story. Years ago, I was invited to go up and work out with Elvis up in Santa Monica, and I chose not to do it because I had classes and I, and I made some excuse not to have to travel up there. And I missed the opportunity of being on the mat with Elvis Presley. Another situation, I was fighting in a tournament, and it was another all-star tournament that Mike Stone put on, and Bruce Lee was there. And I didn't go up and introduce myself. I didn't want to be one of those guys waiting in line to, to talk to him. And I wished I would have. So my suggestion is suit up and show up, stick your hand out, make friends. And you don't know, the person you shake hands with could end up being your best friend and contribute greatly to your life, or maybe you'll contribute to their life. But friendships don't get formed, you know, by staying home and keeping your hands in your pocket. Get out and, and greet people and uh, be welcoming, and you'll end up bringing great things into your life. So that would be my message. Show up, suit up, and get your hand out to shake hands with people. Again, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I have really enjoyed this last you know, interview time I've got to spend with you here. Uh, for people who would like to contact you, how is it, what's the best way of them getting a hold of you? Well, our website is pretty simple. It's bwkenfo.com. And I'm, I'm also on Facebook quite a bit and post on there. So that's certainly an option for people that uh, – would like to private message, and if you had questions, I'd do my best to answer them for you. And, uh, I'm easily accessible. Uh, I'm on, um, if you Googled my name, uh, Bob White Karate, there, there's some contact information on there. But um, I'm at the studio every day. I'm pretty easy to find. And for people who are looking for his products, currently I see three different DVDs available on the website. Do you have the Elements of Effective Coaching? A Purpose-Driven Journey to Success, and Let's Live a Life of Service are the three DVDs I see. Uh, my understanding was there's a couple of more coming out in the near future too, right? Yeah, I enjoy doing it. I think it's a, a good service, and we have uh, a gentleman that uh, works with us on the DVD. The The last one, uh, Living a Life of Service, uh, Tom Bleeker worked really closely with us uh, in the making of it. They did a, a fundraiser up in um, Santa Monica and Benny Urquides and Chuck Sullivan and John Conway, Mike Pick coordinated it, Tom Bleeker, of course, Ron Sanchez, one of my students, they're all involved um, in doing this seminar uh, to raise funds for Barbara and I as I was fighting cancer. But uh, it ended up being a, a real nice DVD that kind of um, encourages people to get involved in the uh, service aspect of our art and um, as a result as i mentioned earlier right at the beginning the the happiest people i know are people that are helping others and this certainly uh, 
encourages people to do that. So those are all on our website uh, that you could uh, just look under shop on on our website and you can have access to all of those DVDs. Uh, the only one I've seen personally so far is the uh, Elements of Effective Coaching, and which is uh, required viewing material for everybody who teaches at my personal school. And that's, I make them watch that at least once a year because it, like any good video product, literally every time we have watched it, we've gotten some new nugget out of there. And I, I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend that one. And if any of the other two are in anything close to that level of production, which I'd be shocked if they weren't, uh, all three of them are, are going to be great sources of material for you. So recommendation. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You know, the purpose-driven journey, I was real pleased with um, in that we had we have some good footage of people fighting, uh, including myself at the internationals and a couple of our uh, competitors fighting in team competition. And Mike Pombero's on there. And as I mentioned, Mike was uh, Black Belt Magazine competitor of the year. And he's also in their Hall of Fame. And just a tremendous champion, but there's some good techniques in there and good uh, drills to uh, help develop your fighting skills. So yeah, I'm pretty pleased with that one. Um, purpose, excuse me, the living a life of service isn't for everybody. You know, a lot of people will look at it and say, well, I'd rather get, you know, I wish there was more action, but it really wasn't our purpose. Like I said, we came up with the idea of the DVD while I was, uh, in the middle of uh, battling this cancer, and, and I just wanted to do more to be in service, and I thought that encouraging people to be in service themselves would be uh, something that would be um, something really good to do. So, um, you know, none of them, you're not going to get rich doing DVDs, but it's certainly something that has made us feel proud of what we're, we're doing, and, and hopefully we're on the right track. Again, thank you so much for sharing uh, basically your life in Kempo with us. And I, I hope everybody out there enjoys this podcast as much as I did in, uh, conducting the interview. So I'm looking forward. I will likely say that you're probably going to have to come back and do a round two at some point. All right. Well, I would appreciate that, and I would look forward to it. All righty. Well, you have a great holiday season, sir, and I will talk to you hopefully soon. Well, I look forward to it. And, again, my best to your family during the holidays and on. But thank you very much for this opportunity. Have a great rest of the day, sir. All right, you as well, Steve. Thank you. Professor White is a fighter, both in the martial arts world as well as in life. He beat cancer this past year and is back on the mat, changing people's lives. I'm honored he accepted my request to interview him. His lessons in creating a positive culture for your school resonate not just as a martial arts school, but literally that can be applied to creating a culture at home or amongst people you care to spend time with on a regular basis. Just a wonderful human being. Thank you so much, Professor White, for giving us the benefit of your experience and kindness. Episode number nine is a former classmate of Bob White's out in the Garden Grove Kempo School in SoCal under the late Bob Perry. Grandmaster Howard Singer of the International Karate Connection Association and under Three Shields Kempo was a highly successful tournament competitor and he's appeared in several movie and TV roles. We hear about his training tips for pulling lessons out of competition that will help you across all of your skill sets. He actually once won a tournament one time without even ever fighting a match. You want to hear about it? Tune in to episode number nine. If you like what you're hearing so far with these episodes, share that positivity. It's like ripples in a pond. Tell someone you think might enjoy it. Share the links around. Together we can help people just by letting them share in the great messages our guests bring to every episode. Obligatory self-promotion? Find us at artistsofmotion.com, artistsofmotion.com slash iTunes, 
artistofmotion.com slash Google Play and on our Facebook page at Artist of Motion. Email pod at artistofmotion.com. I'm out for this episode. I'm Steve Zalazowski. Catch you next time on the Artist of Motion podcast.